Liberty Station is brought to you by my good friends at Devoted Capital, where they believe how you profit matters. They're dedicated to helping you align your investments with your values, empowering you to a life well-lived. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show on Liberty Station. And today's episode, I'm with a uh, very dear friend of mine, long-term friend of mine and business partner in my jiu-jitsu school, Mark Morellis. How are you, brother? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me today. Um, it's, uh, it's crazy, man, because we all started out as like young bucks in the Machado Academy. And, you know, uh, we were working in our various professions. But, you know, I mean, we were like the nobodies. And... Um, it's crazy today. Um, you know, I was talking to you uh, this weekend about like how we're the leaders now and the older guys and the parent, even more scary, the parents. And um, it's just wonderful how life works out if you're willing to work hard. And um, we're certainly blessed uh, to be surrounded by a lot of people that, um, you know, they work very hard to get where they're at. And it's like, <laughs> we're enjoying it now. And it, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, we are blessed, man. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I, I started there at the uh, uh, jiu-jitsu school at Machado at like 25, I think, yeah. somewhere, somewhere yeah, in that. You were there before me, man. Yeah. You were like one of the original dudes. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, there was the original, original dudes. Yeah. Um, I was like the second set. I was like yeah. the next generation of original dudes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a uh, it was a really special time, and you know, we, we uh, for the audience, we won't talk about jujitsu the entire time, probably just yeah. half of it. Um, but uh, because that is important to us. But when we began, um, I, I don't think in some respects we knew what we had in yeah. those early days because Brazilian jujitsu in 1993, Hoist Gracie, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, debuted in the UFC, which was kind of put together by the Gracie family. Um, all of a sudden, here's this skinny Brazilian kid that chokes all of these monstrous-looking dudes out, you know, taps them out with joint locks. And all of a sudden, here's this, like, come one, come all. Our martial art is the best. Let's test all of these things in, you know, just open gladiatorial warfare and see what rises to the top. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu did, and the rest is kind of history. But in those early days, it was still kind of underground because I was like 96 when I started. Yeah. And nobody really knew what it was. And, and, the, I, and the first Ultimate Fighting Championship or UFC, I think, was like in it, it was 19, 93. 93. It was right? 93. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, just getting sucked into it really quick. Yeah. And, um, you know, okay, this is a superpower. Recognizing it's a superpower, I want to learn this. I was a good wrestler. You had a wrestling background as well. And right. I'll let you tell your story in a minute and I'll shut up. But, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, these guys treated me like I was a child right. in their arms. And yeah. I was like, man, how is this possible? I am, you know, bad for real. And I thought I could handle myself in any situation. And here's these skinny dudes beating me up. So, you know, it was wild times, man. It was wild. And, you know, for like probably like your listeners who uh, come from diverse backgrounds and um, are not exponents of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, the amazing part for me and you sitting here is the impact of, of lives that we've had, and especially working with young people. And I think, like, what I'd say to your audience is, you know, whether it's baseball or football or academics, like, you have certain teachers in your life that, like, teach you, like, the path and the way. We certainly had that um, at the Machado Academy and, uh, you know, in other places in our life. And what I love is that our, our kids program, man, we're just paying it forward and working with uh, not only kids but men and women, and and uh, it's just it's awesome to, you know, uh, empower these people, especially to in the development of jujitsu, which is uh, inclusive rather than exclusive. So like we're bringing people, and I was talking before we came here. I was with our student body, and I was telling them, hey man, we're here to get you better um, at jujitsu and self defense, but we're also here to uh, make you a better human being mm -hmm. as much as we can so that that's like the win for us um it'd be pretty like if uh we had a time machine to go back and the audience could come with us it'd be it's a pretty amazing um uh uh encounter that i'm i'm very proud of and and you know sometimes i just got to pinch myself 
uh, to make sure I'm not dreaming my life so awesome. But it took a lot of work to get here, and I'm sure we're going to talk yeah. about that today. It wasn't all perfect. No, no, and, and we will, and we'll, we'll hit more jujitsu stuff later in the episode. But um, I did have you on, not just because you're my pal and business part- partner, but, but because I wanted to talk about some specific things. So you're a um, retired LAPD, in fact, four-time Medal of Valor winner LAPD. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talk, talk real quick about your background. We're going to get into some of the stuff that's going on in our culture right now with For crime, sure. with policing. Um, I want to hit some of those things really heavy. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, law enforcement and also private security. And so we're going to talk about, um, you know, just what's happening, what your thoughts are on it, what we need to be doing as a community, and so on. Yeah. Well, so that is true. Um, I spent uh, 28 years with the Los Angeles Police Department and uh, four years um, with the United States Marine Corps uh, prior to that. And um, I consider myself uh, from a young person to this day as a person that um, believed in public service and took... um, public service uh, very seriously as a profession because um, I believe like that God um, anoints you or blesses you with certain strengths and you have to press those forward and so you know I was lucky enough I was fast and I was strong and um, I had a good head for tactics and although I probably wanted my life to go in a different direction I think I was you know I ended up in the military and from the military I ended up in the police department and it was, uh, it was simply um, a difficult profession, but it came, like, easy to me. I could do things. If you imagine, like, the guy that, you know, is on the track team that can just run fast, I was able to do that with policing. Uh, like, a lot of the complex criminal problems, or I could see things and say, hey, this is what's going on. So um, I think I was definitely uh, blessed in that area. It was very important for me to, um, to be involved in, in public service because it's helping people. And um, um, I'm not a four-time Medal of Valor recipient. I'm a three, but um, I was awarded a fourth medal from um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, from the state of California, and from uh, the Carnegie uh, Hero um, Committee or whatever back in New York um, for one, one of my incidents uh, I received uh, many accolades and award for it. And what's ironic is somebody uh, just sent me a, a video clip from Southland of when myself and my partner uh, rescued a, a, a suicide jumper. I'll send you that clip, man. But it's, it's pretty amazing because uh, there's a lot of um, like fluff around it. Yeah, for the, the audience, Southland was a show. A that, show yeah, which was, LAPD. Which so, is pretty pretty yeah. good and, yeah, focused on LAPD, but they did take the stories straight out of the headlines and actual yeah. things that happened, one of which was one of your stories. Right, so I had a couple, like in the movie Crash, um, like from the early 2000s, like somebody told me, hey, man, they did. you rescued these people from this uh, burning car, and they uh, they, you know, it was like within a year, like that movie came out, and they were like, hey, it... Uh, um, and I think there was like a call at the office. I never returned um, from some technical advisor. And then just recently, I've been retired for five years. Uh, one of my partners was like, hey, man, I was like watching a rerun of Southland. And here's your caper on the suicide jumper. So, um, you know, I'm happy to say that in the um, although I was involved in many stressful and violent encounters, that the medals that I received from the LAPD in those incidents, I never had to take a human life, and I I was uh, I I saved or preserved a human life, and um, you know it's just awesome, man. To um, when I reflect back, because when you do a, almost a thirty year career, like it's a lot when you're in there, but when you retire, it's over like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I still you know communicate with a lot of my ex partners and stuff, and encourage them. It's a very rough time for policing and police officers today. But it's very necessary. And before I forget, Bryce, um, you know, I was thinking about like some of the talking points, um, and I and I think this will probably set us in the right direction. Is you know, there's a real conflict between what is right and what is wrong today, and they're telling us up is down, you know, right is left, and left is right, you know. And the reality is this, and I sum this up because when you're when you're policing the first. You know, and I was going out there. I was never an administrator. I was always out on the tip of the spear. 
um, you got to know what you believe in when you go to work because mm -hmm. uh, you may not come home. And um, that was very important to me and to my family to say, this is what um, my profession is and this is what I believe as I go forward. And I always believed I was doing the right thing. The second thing is more truer to where we're at in society. And I boil it down to medical or psychological uh, terms with clear within the um, um, American uh, medical community. You're either social or you're antisocial, right? If you're participating in antisocial activity, they have a term for that. It's called uh, criminality, right? If you're social and you're producing positively and doing things that we have to live in a society and socially, that's the way that uh, you progress. But today, and what makes it very hard on police officers is we're accepting antisocial behavior as regular behavior. It's uh, upending um, our society. And certainly, um, I don't have all the answers, and I don't think anybody does. But there's clear precedences in this country of what is right and what is wrong. And I, I never say, hey, this is a black issue. This is a white issue. This is from any community issue. I say you're either involved in, in um, so, uh, antisocial or social activities. And um, you know why put the laws on the books if you're not going to enforce the laws? And today we are in a quandary searching for the right way when the right way uh, fi files, uh, follows a very moral compass um, you know, based in correct behavior. You yeah. Know? I mean, I have a distinct opinion on that, as you can imagine. For sure. You know, running a yeah. uh, you know cr Christian-based uh, podcast, and you know, we get into this conversation regularly with people. But um, you know, we have allowed a complete and total moral breakdown of our society, and you know, with that, the uh, the term that's being you know thrown at us um, in the Christian community is you know Christo-fascist and Christian nationalist and all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. The truth is, is we were a Christian nation uh, at one time. Now, being a Christian nation, which I do endorse, by the way, does not mean you have to be Christian to live in a Christian nation. But what you have is an agreed-upon set of rules that we're going to live by, and they were a moral basis that we reached, again, with you know many of our founding fathers being Christians, but some of them just, just being deists or recognizing that there's a creator. Not all of them were great moral men, but they recognized that you had to have some moral underpinnings to a society for it to work. We have thrown all of that out, and although I think we need to be a, plural, a pluralist society, meaning we have to have many people of different viewpoints and all that stuff, we have to have some standards, and we've gotten rid of all standards, and you're seeing that now in the streets. Right. So if you take it to a spiritual realm, uh, which, which now we're discussing, and um, I, I think the, the argument from the antisocial to the social goes to secular uh, versus spiritual, and in this case, Christianity. And what you have now is uh, what very well described in various scriptures and whatnot. And, and like I'd like to say... Like, uh, you know, I am a Christian, man, but um, you know what they say about some Christians? Um, you're a, 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 what is it? You're a good believer, but a, like a bad Christian. <laughs> like, you know, like I, like I, I to be realistic, and I have uh, no problems like uh, stating it, like working within a violent um, a profession like policing or, the, you know, in the military and whatnot, like it tests your faith. And I haven't always been the most perfect person, but as you uh, get older, you tend to, to see things for the way they are. And at 55 years old, what I see is, you know, secular powers. And uh, if we're going to call it correctly, and I, and I try to break this down, I, I try not to attack people mm -hmm. because um, um, I know a lot of different people and I care for them deeply and I don't always agree whether they're believers or non-believers, and certainly I'm not here to judge anybody. Like, yeah, I'm not perfect. But what you see is um, you see uh, secular beliefs and nihilism and Marxism um, within a lot of uh, very young people. As you know, in the in the Machado 
school, we came up with a lot of people from Eastern Europe mm -hmm. and whatnot that came here in the 90s after the changes. And a lot of these people, they're smart people and they're involved. You know, they Hard own working. homes now and they're, yeah. they're either they're involved in law enforcement or professions. And they say it like, uh, and I believe them and I, their parents, they say, what you're hearing today is what we heard after World War II um, from, uh, and, and, and like, uh, you know, whether it was uh, uh, Nazis or later uh, fasc uh, real fascist communists yeah. taking over, like this was the same rhetoric coming out. But nobody listens to these people. <laughs> They've already been, been through it once. I'm sure you've heard the same no, thing. No, no, I, I have. In fact, I mean, some of the most, um, uh, like, hysterical is probably the term people when it comes to what's happening right now are the people that lived through it and yeah. are like, wait a second, I moved here yeah. because of what was happening there and what we saw happening. And and yeah, we, we've got all the um, precursors in our society right now, all the same little things that are happening, the you know division of people, the, um, you know, uh, uh, elite power structure, you know, breaking things down, the uh, censoring of uh, free thought and free speech and all of those sort of things that's happening are all the signs of what they saw when tyranny took over. And tyranny can take, you know, leftist and far right, um, you know, sort of, ta you know, tactics, but it's all the same thing. It's tyranny. It's people wanting to subvert and rule over other people. And we're seeing this happening. So these these folks are out of their minds saying, whoa, hang on a minute, stop. We saw this before. And, and you're right, it's like nobody's listening. So in policing, um, you know, like we discussed, I did almost 30 years with LAPD. So in, in policing, I never thought like the executive branch of the um, government, the presidency could ever affect like street level policing. I mean, we had, you know, Rodney King, we had uh, riots, we had good things, bad things happen. Uh, the North Hollywood shootout, very uh, heroic. And then horrible things happened in the Los Angeles Police Department uh, over the course of many years. But it wasn't until Ferguson and the bowing in of the, and I'm sure I'm gonna go on some lists for this, like, <laughs> it was You're the, Obama, lists, sure. <laughs> the Obama um, administration and Eric Holder as the Attorney General that just put out complete lies yeah. about this incident in Ferguson. And then there were a few other incidents that the Justice Department uh, dipped into. Um, and I remember shortly after a well-meaning captain came into our roll call and he said, um, do you know what a social justice is? And, and like, I knew that this um, commanding officer was in graduate school. And, uh, you know, we just sat there and he was like, what gives you the right to do um, what you do as police officers? And I was like, um, you know, and he pointed me to Rekha. I said, uh, well, the California Constitution, uh, the powers, you know, the, you know, the, the police powers of the state and whatnot, you know, the, the, the official reasons. And he said, uh, no, uh, that's not correct. Like, you have to have, like, a buy-in from, like, the community and whatnot. And I do, I believe in community-based policing and whatnot. Yeah, 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 it's important. But um, this was something different. And I don't think that he understood what he was talking about. And then during, uh, I was gone from the uh, police department the year that um, all the craziness happened with the uh, social justice and whatnot. And... Um, I know that captain kind of figured out, you know, you had like, uh, you know, uniformed police officers uh, taking a knee. And, I, and I'll tell you that, I, like an American, if you want to burn a flag or take a knee or whatever, it's your right to do that, right? But I don't know, man, for me, it was always that uh, if, I, if I take you to the uh, police memorial, I can show you my friends up there that gave their lives. And there, there's several of them, my classmate, Steve Guida, um, you know, there's several other uh, incidents uh, I was involved in where, you know, uh, officers uh, lost their lives. And man, it's like, not only did they die within their community of Los Angeles protecting citizens and violent encounters, but we're part of the United States of America. And it seems today, um, 
if you wear an American flag like this, it, it's like the other side, and there, there is a other side, takes this as some sort of symbol of um, elitism power or some, some form of, of uh, negativity. When this country is the greatest country in the world made up of immigrants, man, like your grandparents are different mm -hmm. than my grandparents, that like this, I, like how did we get here um, in such negativity, right? Where the, now the cops are the bad guys, right? And uh, the good guys are uh, unfortunately, but truly uh, people with a rap sheet a mile and a half, uh, 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 um, a mile and a half long. You know, it's, it's a sad situation where we're at. Do you know whom you're voting for? With every product you buy and every dollar you spend, you are casting your vote. Devoted Capital offers values-based investing portfolios that are designed to help you reach your financial goals, all the while making a positive impact on your life and the world around you. They are dedicated to educating, engaging, and empowering you to be wise with your investments and to equip you to be knowledgeable with your vote. Visit their website at devotedcapital.com to learn more about values-based investing or dial 805-372-0821 to speak to your values investor advocate today. Investment advisory services offered through Alliance Advisory and Securities, LLC, registered investment advisor. Yeah, and it's uh, it's getting worse, and it seems to be getting worse day by day. Again, because they've, you know, like totally destroyed the foundation of what was created. And... Uh, you know, you don't set things to order overnight, but you can create chaos overnight. And so to come back from what we've done to policing, what we've done to our military, what we've done just in terms of the weakening, uh, I mean, you know, because police, when I grew up, I mean, look, there's you know, problem police out there. You know it. I know it. Very, there's, very few, though. Like, it, it's, it's not it's not like. It's oh, I agree with the, that. Like the, and so that's one of the things that you see like kicking off is like, well, there's like bad. Well, there's bad apples everywhere. everywhere. And there's always been bad apples. Yeah. But they're, ve they're very few. Like a, and, I, and I'll give a perfect example of, of like the type of and why I think this like started happening is that, you know, before social media and, and I'll be honest, the lunatics didn't have a voice. Right. And not only did the lunatics get a voice. They started to um, influence on, in, on reputation issues with larger corporations and whatnot. I mean, the reality is, is um, um, the BLM movement. I mean, look what's happening within it now. I mean, I'm like, I'm saying it here, like, but, but, you know, there's lawsuits going on that misappropriated funds. I mean. You know, oh, yeah. no, it's it was like, a, like it was a criminal enterprise. Right. And obviously, Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter Inc. was a criminal right. enterprise. Yeah, and so, so you know, and and during that hysteria period, of about two years, um, you know, people are, you know, if you if you if you did something American, like express your opinion, which you should be able to do, well, that wasn't constitutional. They'd be out um, uh, trying to cancel you. And this is this is how like, I, and I was just saying it the other day. And I, I might have said it to you. You know, a lot of Christians say, you know, I will never denounce Christ. And, and you go to, like, the Bible of where the cock crowed three times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a denouncement. And then, you know, there was forgiveness. And, you know, you, you, know, you had different incidents where things were lining up for Christ to uh, pay the ultimate sacrifice. And people and disciples did very human things. But today, you know, with martyrism and, you know, the people would say, like, if you took me out to that parking lot right now and put a gun to my head, I wouldn't denounce Christ. And I really believe they wouldn't. But not what they're not willing to do, or you really have to soul search, is, hey, if I stand up for my beliefs today and I say what I want and I call this wrong or right, I, I get it, man. you got to be very careful. But can you survive being canceled, right? And your family, you get fired from your job. 
you have a mortgage, your kids. And so what happens I is I think today, there's people that are more terrified of that. Yeah. That's death today. Yeah. That's the death penalty today, yeah. right? Isn't it it's yeah. like this? Like you, you get your lights put out, you're done, right? You have to suffer through society of uh, being labeled something and, uh, and being canceled, right? And so I don't think that's such a great threat that it is last year. But what's amazing to me um, from like an academic standpoint is how I never thought like the, um, and certainly in the United States, how George Orwell, <laughs> Orwellian mm -hmm. concepts such as 1984 or the book um, Animal Farm would yeah. ever be like the, the truth. And, and during COVID, look what we had. We had people like calling on each other, oh, yeah. informing on their neighbors and whatnot. Like what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we really... Like to me, COVID wasn't even about like the illness and I know people lost their loved ones. It was the reaction and human behavior of things that you would have never thought people were capable or governments were capable of doing to other human beings. And, yeah. it, and trust me, it was just the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of people that fancy themselves. You know, they look at the uh, what the Nazis did and they look at what the people did uh, to the Jews and then you look at those, you know, heroes that hid Jews and things mm -hmm. like that. And everybody wants to be that person. Everybody thinks and they, oh, yeah, I would have absolutely, I would have, you know, I would have saved as many people as possible. I would have hidden Jews in my attic, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You saw that that wasn't true when it came to the COVID situation with how many people ratted people out <laughs> for for complete silliness. And now, of course, it's it's turning out to be not what they had advertised it as at the beginning. You know, where we're more and more information is, is coming out and continuing to come out. Of course, they'll never apologize, but they fancied themselves as these strong people that were going to stand up for other people's rights. But, you know, they were the first ones to run around calling people out. So I think what's interesting, is, and you probably have a, a few Jordan Peterson fans out there, is oh, yeah. that... Before COVID, and you know, uh, I like to read, and like I think, which Jordan I do want to, I do want to compliment you, and then let you finish <laughs> the point. You know what I, I truly admire about you, and there's a lot of things to admire, but you, um, you are a lifelong learner, yeah. And you have ever since I've known you, you've continued on through school. Yeah. You've continued on with your graduate degree, and I know you're continuing to, um, you you read. Uh, all the time. I mean, you're just, you are that guy. And I appreciate that because a lot of people stop at some point and, uh, and, and you, you are continuously working to improve yourself. And I appreciate that. Well, um, it's been a lifelong process and I always tell people, and I'll get back to the, the Peterson point, but since you got me on that track, I wasn't always like, um, the smartest guy. So like I, I grew up, um, in San Francisco and, um, I was adopted, um, uh, I would say I was a product of Fleet Week. My dad was in the Navy, and my mom was, like, very young. And so I was born at St. Elizabeth's Hospital for unwed mothers. And so I was adopted by a very wonderful um, a Mexican family. Everyone in, in my family speaks Spanish except for me. But I always, uh, I always say it, it was like, because my dad's um, uh, Native American, um, that it was like a John Wayne movie of a uh, like the the white kid like growing up on the Indian reservation, and so um, I, I was kind of like a slow like learner. I was in special ed, and then um, I ended up uh, being a late bloomer. And so by the time I finished uh, college on the police department, finished graduate school before I retired, and then enrolled in a PhD program, uh, studying things I know, like criminal justice and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's where, like, my passion... Play to your strengths, man. Yeah, it, and it does. But And it's interesting to me, and, you know, I still you know, work in that space and whatnot uh, within the um, private security industry. But, um, you know, it didn't come easy. But, you know, that's one of the things, going back to jujitsu is saying that um, um, never quit, man. Like, you know, wherever you're at in life... Like, you may get set back, problems happen, you know, things happen all the time. And you may have to take some time off school or some goal that you had. But only you can decide if you're going to quit and are defeated, right? 
most of it is, I, w I would say, um, like in my wrestling career, which uh, had its ups and downs, and you know, America's a great wrestling country, and I'm glad to got to participate, and I certainly wasn't the best. But in my mind, I never lost a match. The, I ran out of time you know, mm. before I could mount a comeback. You know? <laughs> and, cool. so, and so like I play, I play that to, to, you know, in life. Uh, back to Jordan Peterson um, on that point is, um, man, where were we with that? <laughs> I, I totally <laughs> messed it all up, man. Um, um, I think, um, oh, the point was... Man, you're gonna have to scratch and edit that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why we roll in conversation because it'll come back to us. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's let's keep. Actually, while you're thinking about yeah. that, I I want to tell a quick story that illustrates the everyday challenge that police have. So, I was in Austin, Texas. This is before the pandemic, um, and I just think it's a it's a um, illustration of what these guys have to go through yeah. now with the advent of uh, um, social media and cameras and all of that. Yeah. So it's um, if you've ever been to 6th Street um, back in the day, I think it's changed a lot and it's, it's really uh, taken a dive. Um, but, you know, one of the like live music capitals of the world, every single... Um, bar and restaurant has live music playing and all of these you know college kids are out um living their best life of total mm -hmm. debauchery and destruction um and i i was there for an art show and i went and um you know got all settled into the hotel could not sleep for the life of me so mm -hmm. i get back up and i'm a people watcher right mm -hmm. so i get back up and i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do and i love to walk and i love to walk in cities and, and it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And it was one of those where I felt like I was really tired, but it turns out I wasn't, couldn't sleep. So I get up and I uh, get dressed again. I go, you know, downstairs to the hotel and walk and kind of cruise the 6th Street area. Funny little incidental thing is, you know, just being used to situation awareness and, you know, being, um, you know, trained in that aspect of things, plus just my natural wiring. Some dude was following me and wanted to sell me drugs or get me something or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. saw a lone guy on the street and he picked me out of the crowd. Um, I knew he wasn't going to rob me cause that wasn't the vibe, but he was, he was following me and I was, you know, watching, watching him, uh, uh, you know, case me through the crowd and I do a quick little boom, right around the corner or something. And as he comes walking around the corner, I go, Hey, why are you following me? The guy fell to the ground. I startled him so much. And he was like, no, no, man, man, that wasn't, you know, and then started to apologize. But I've, I've never scared anybody that bad in my entire life. And so, you know, you know what though, that's true in Texas. I was in San Antonio mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I felt like a presence and this guy was there and he was like, Hey man, can I get you something? Yeah. And you know, in California, that doesn't really happen like yeah. that. Like you kind of have to like go off into some neighborhood or whatever. But I was kind of surprised because I was in Texas. These guys are looking for the tourists. Yes. And like to like hook them up with drugs and stuff. But since, dude, we're, like we're from L.A., man, like some guy walking up on you like that. Yeah. You're, you know, like he's Paying probably going to try to jack you. And so that's like, you know, like a like. You know, it's pr it's pretty dangerous for them to be doing that because, like, uh, you know, for here, man, like, you, you got to do what you got to do, yeah. which is a different podcast. But uh, yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. But the story that I wanted to illustrate is at the end of the night when all the bars are closing down, and I and I, I think it's midnight or something like that on whatever this night was. So it wasn't you know like crazy yeah. late. Yeah. Um, I could be misremembering though. But they take horses and the horses and the, you know, mounted police, you know, start going down the street and they're like announcing to everybody, go home, get out of here. Because, mm -hmm. you know, people are spilled out onto the yeah. street and everything. Well, um, there was some super drunk kid that was um, not listening to the police, you know, getting into some kind of, you know, scuffle with somebody. And they're, and so they're arresting him and mm -hmm. they're, you know, approaching him to, you know, put hands on him, arrest him, put it in the car. And he's starting to kind of mildly resist and fight back. Right. All of a sudden, all around in the crowd, you know, 
25 cell phones are in the police's faces, you know, watching everything that they do. And these guys are just having a hard time with this guy that was out of control, was not listening, was not cooperating, you know, was uh, falling down drunk, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with him. And you have a million cell phones in their faces. And that's the pressure that these guys are facing all over the place trying to do normal policing. This guy deserved to be arrested. He needed to be arrested. The people didn't care whether that was the case or not. They just wanted to catch the police in one small, short clip of them you know, doing something wrong or something that looked bad on camera or whatever it may be. And... You and I, being jujitsu guys, um, you know, knowing how to do arrest and control, knowing how to handcuff people, all that, you having done it, you know, 10,000 times in your career, um, you know how messy it can also be anytime sure. you have to lay hands on somebody. But all of the pressure was on these guys, and that's what they're facing every single day of their job. In today's environment, they do one wrong thing in that their career's over. They could be on, you know, uh, the news for the next ten years. Absolutely. So first, with that, I mean, that's why you need strong supervision and leadership yep. in, in police departments. But on top of that, you need very strong, uh, morally correct, and and very strong individuals in public office mm-hmm. that support law enforcement. Yeah. And and. You know, it, it can be uh, messy, but, you know, these people that are on the cell phones and whatnot um, trying to catch you doing something wrong, got you type of situations, it, you know, these type of people have always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, they come in various forms of names, but they never had a platform until they um, got a hold of social media where you can edit anything or put your spin on anything, you know? So like a lot of these videos that you're seeing, I mean, they're edited or things are cut out and, you know, and, and content's added in. And what's sad is, is that we live in a society today that that's how people get their news information and take it literally as gospel. And then you wonder why the world's messed up. But or, or, co- ju- yeah. or just complete lies. Yeah, like complete lies. We, there's a lot you mentioned there's Ferguson. A lot of lies. Yeah, there's people a lot still of, believe that yeah. hands up, don't shoot. Yeah. Uh, when all you know, yeah. all of the evidence, testimony, court, yeah. you know, that that was right. couldn't be farther from the truth. And you wonder why society is today, because when you're promulgating lies, right? And and trust me, if there's a bad cop out there, get them, right? Um, honestly, I didn't see a lot of that on the police department. I saw a lot of dedicated men and women, and some things that addressed training issues, but people that were uh, committed to uh, public office. Somebody told me today um, in the last um, week that the LAPD recruitment classes are very low and there's like 50 people leaving the department like a month and they can't keep up. Why do you think that is, man? You don't support your cops and you you have your own um, union telling people don't become a police officer, don't come visit here because um, you can, um, you know, uh, we can't protect you, right? And, and they're not lying. I mean, this is the the um, public safety issues with crime and violent crime and lack of prosecutions and what's going on. But this, I'll say, this is the value. Like, we know all this, and this is on every conservative podcast. But I'll tell you my experience of why I continue to do public service and something that might make sense if you lo- love movies, right? And I love movies. But... Um, I saw the movie Colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall over a 30-year period at least three times. So when I was in the Marines, um, I saw like the movie Colors. I was like, man, that crash unit, like that looks like pretty good, like what we're doing in the Marine Corps, aggressive policing, get the bad guys, and cops should get the bad guys, Yeah. right? And um, so when I came on the police department, um, I was like, I probably saw the movie again. I was like, man, McGavin, dude, he's out getting it. Like he's, you know, he's out for the bad guys. And you're a young guy like that. And I actually, you know, they disbanded Crash in 1997 because of the Rampart scandal and whatnot. I worked uh, Crash in the San Fernando Valley and Foothill and one of the greatest gang units probably ever um, assembled, man. And these guys all went to do sensational things within, you know, 
robbery homicide division or the elite metro or SWAT. And I work with all these guys when we were young cops. And, man, we were getting after it on bad guys. And, you know, you see, like, the McGavin, and you're like, man, that's, you know, you're young. You, you know, like, and, you, and it's also, it's a different time period, right? And then, um, you know, I became a dad and had kids, and I probably saw the movie about 15 years later. And I'm like, Robert Duvall is the right way as a training officer. And he's telling McGavin, like, hey, calm down. Like, you can't sprint the whole way. And, um, you know, he has more of an influence. And you kind of see that McGavin's a little out of control and that Robert Duvall's carry, uh, character, Hodges, has a good interpretation of longevity and doing the right thing. But that wasn't the point. Right before I retired, like you, I couldn't sleep or whatever. I'm on, like, like uh, colors is on. And I'm too, like, lazy to get the remote or whatever. Like, I've seen this a bunch of times. And now... At near the 30-year mark, the whole movie made sense to me on the premise of what really policing is about. And there's a scene where Hodges loses it with McGavin, and he pushes him somewhere in the locker room. And he says to him, and, I, and I'd, I'd seen this, it just never made sense to me. And this is like the eyes of maturity. So while I was watching that movie, and I was watching McGavin, I was like, oh, like cringing, like, oh, you know, he's like, you know, smacking the guy around in the projects. I'm like, oh, man. Like, so finally, Hodges loses it, and he pins McGavin up, and he says, do you think uh, we win and they lose, and you, like, there's winners and losers out here? Like, it, it doesn't work like that, and it really doesn't, man. Right. There are no winners and losers out on the street, and for the policing to the bad guys, it is true people go to prison, but cops are taking on a lot of baggage, and I can talk more to that because, like, you, you don't get out of that profession unscathed True. if you're out getting your hands dirty. Not everyone gets their hands dirty, though. you got to understand that. But McGav uh, Hodges says, you know, at the end of the day, all you can do is be a professional. Because that's all you can do. You can be a Every time you show up, you can be a professional. And that was it. And a whole seeing this movie... You know, Dennis Hopper probably trying to make a point, who's the director of the movie. Uh, my uh, uh, three decades of street policing, that was the point. Like, every day you show up, whether it's a good day or a bad day, you're going to be a professional. And you know what the standards are for being a professional, right? Um, to protect people, to protect property, to protect society, uh, to not tarnish the badge and to be a consummate professional, which is predicated on a lot of training. Not everyone can be a police officer, right. you know what I mean? And, you know, that was it for me. And I went, you know what, man? Like, I think, like, it hasn't been perfect. Like, I did some things, like, I'm not proud of, or, um, you know, like, you, nobody has a perfect day. Um, but at the end of the day, man, I think the public and the city, like, I, I laid my life down for them many times. And uh, I was lucky um, enough to never seriously get injured or to lose my life. But, like, I, I hold my chin up about mm -hmm. my police career. We have two major tragedies in this country that I take personally, and it's poor health and veganism. Battle both by ordering from my friends at Good Ranchers. 85% of all grass-fed beef is imported from other countries, but because they process it here, they can slap the product of USA label on it. Because of this, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranches have closed. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat. A Good Ranchers subscription locks in your price to protect you against inflation. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to goodranchers.com slash liberty. Every item is steakhouse quality and you can order the finest steaks, seafood, and chicken at half the price of those other online meat guys. And I'll tell you, in direct head-to-head -head competition in my discriminating household, Good Ranchers just tastes much better. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to goodranchers.com slash liberty. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. I remember sitting there watching the news one time and 
There's Mark again, <laughs> helping some choking woman with the Heimlich <laughs> on video. <laughs> yeah. Like, there he is again. Yeah. No, nah, man, you were, uh, you were always out there doing the work. That's yeah. for sure. And there's a lot of guys that um, don't yeah. do the work out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not to disparage, you know, the people that are in the various roles, but it takes something special to be on the street doing the hard stuff and, you know, putting your, putting your life on the line on a regular basis too. So within that too, and this is, you know, like people always want to get into like, what is policing? Um, so a lot of like, um, policing, like people, um, learn from television and movies and they have that like interpretation. And when I talk to a lot of people, they're like, I want to be SWAT, right? Mm -hmm. There's only 80 SWAT team members um, on the Los Angeles Police Department out mm -hmm. of um, um, uh, 10,000 people, right? Yeah. And then on, t on top of that, like right now, like on patrol, there's only like 900 or 950 officers out of 10,000. They're out on the street patrolling right now. Who, who was, um, I'm sure you remember his name, I uh, saw him uh, just recently and got to have um, uh, dinner with him. Uh, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank, but he just retired, and he was the SWAT guy. Um, like uh, one of the uh, leaders around the unit. Um, well, there's a few. I don't know who just retired. He, yeah, he just retired in in, uh, in May. But anyways, legend in LAPD SWAT. Okay. Um, you know, been there forever. Anyway, it'll, it'll it will probably might, occur it'll to me. It'll probably come back to you. Yeah, but, it'll, um, it'll uh, come back to me. I've been gone mind. for a while, so, like, um, yeah. I'm not, like, uh, on that. But, you know, um, the police department holds, like, an 80-20 rule. About 20% of the coppers are out there working and do, and there's a lot of like administration. Yeah. And there's like five five police officers watching the one police officer out on the street, and that's what's like crazy about like corruption and whatnot. And like certainly cops do stupid things, and you know, um, but there's definitely an overreaction by yeah. the administration, well, and and it's a it's a very tough job. That that know? eighty twenty rule, by yeah. the way, works in almost anything. One hundred percent. It is that the Pareto principle. Um, yeah. You know that that applies to it all, and um, there are a, a lot of amazing hero cops. Uh, vast majority, you know, and, and I, I say this about teachers, and I say this about every profession, um, because it's filled with human beings, you shouldn't put any profession up on a pedestal. Because yeah. the truth is, is that um, very few are absolutely amazing. Some of them are are absolutely terrible. Right. But the vast majority are mediocre. And, you know, I met some of the greatest human beings you would ever meet on the police department that I work with. And I met some people like... Like, I just didn't like them. I, like, I didn't believe their values were in the right place or, you know, uh, you know, I mean, you have to really be into the depth, but I'll just say that they were scoundrels. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's my opinion. But here's the thing about policing, you know, is that there's a lot of different jobs in the police department. I always say, find out what you like doing. If you like working traffic or working, you know, community relations, or you like, uh, being out on the street, like f you're gonna spend a long time doing it. Right. So figure out what you like to do. Here's the other thing too with policing that I, I bring up, and this is, you know, you have to think about it. Like, where does policing fit into society? These are elected officials. They hire them, yeah. and in a democratic society, they are our representatives to protect us, right? And we give them a special uniform, a special car. We put a pallet in on their chest, a badge, and we give them the th authority in a democratic society to um, engage in special powers and um, to protect us and our property, right? And that's, uh, you know, it's a very tough job because there really is a criminal element. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the whole social, antisocial. Yeah. There's some very dangerous antisocial people out there that um, are involved in levels of criminality that it's hard for the average person to, you know, because the average person probably, like, you know, and, and we would say, like, on, on this show, people would like to say, hey, I'm law-abiding, um, you know, like, Christ values first and whatnot, and, and um, you know, uh, I'm responsible, I'm responsible, I have a job, you know. There's people that wake up in the morning, they're just thinking about what crime they're going to yeah. commit next. And on a spiritual level, 
we know why that happens. Mm -hmm. That's because of Satan and getting caught up in, um, in many, whether it's generational sin or, or bad decisions that you're making in your life. Uh, my mom used to tell me like, hey, the devil walks around like an angel of light. You know, he's going to uh, tell you like this cocaine is going to make you feel good, right? And um, it's not going to, the devil's not going to come to you in some hideous form. It's going to come to you in a pleasure form or something to hook you in. And I, and I never forgot that because um, what happens is, is people get involved in these lifestyles around people or they're unfortunately born into very negative environments. And um, they don't think like you and I. And they're very dangerous people. But I do believe that having worked with this, um, sometimes like they get older and they slow down, they get out of prison and they're like, what was I doing? And they can be your like biggest, um, your biggest um, uh, supporters later on. I'll give, you, I'll give you a story. Yeah, I know so, you have a few of them. So, great. so um, I read Danny Trejo's book and Danny Trejo, what was very interesting, you know, the actor, Don, yeah. Danny Trejo. And it was all about Pacoima and like him and San Fernando. And these are the areas I worked gangs in for years and years. And so like I knew all the players he was talking about. And although he was a little older, you know, and it's a really amazing book, especially too if you love movies, because like a lot of those movie stories go back to the hood with his, uh, his cousin Victor. and what, it's, a, it's a great book. But um, the thing is, man, is like this was a bad dude that went to prison and then he got a little opportunity and he turned his life around. And that's the, mm -hmm. the story of the book, man, and he paid it back. So he just did this little private movie, something like uh, The Cat in the Cradle or something. And some people I know um, through some security contacts, Lisa Vanderpump and, and the Sir Lounge crew that does um, um, uh, Vanderpump Rules, they were involved in the making of this movie. And so Danny Trejo was like at the at the um, the promotion. They asked me to come in to do security for like the opening premiere, right? Which was in a very small theater, but it was quaint, a really good setup. So I'm out there like in the hallway, and uh, um, Danny Trejo comes out to the bathroom by himself. And so he comes out and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" I go, "Hey, I really enjoyed your book, um, you know." And um, you know, I know a lot of the same people. We're talking about Benny the Jet, and he had done time in prison with his cousin, Mondo. And for those who don't know, like, Benny the Jet, Akitas is the mm -hmm. guy that put kickboxing in America yeah. in the 70s on the map. Martial arts From Pacoima. And Danny Trejo and this guy grew up in the same uh, housing project. But, like, Danny Trejo is a big supporter of police today and whatnot. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I, like, is he perfect? Um, probably not. None of us are. You know, and I don't even look at it from that standard, but here's a dude that was ruthless. And um, he goes and speaks to groups and, you know, and he's in prison and he's, you know, involved in, you know, meetings and AA and all this recovery. And, you know, you, you need people like that. So, like, even though I'm, I'm talking very sternly about um, criminals, my hope for, and, and, it, you know, is that the, the ones we can get to, to change their life around, you know, I'm all for that, you know. So it's not like a black or white thing for me. The reality is, though, and I'll be honest, is there's some criminals that are never going to change their lives around. And, you know, they're, they're damaged, deeply damaged people. Like uh, mo most child molesters, if not all, are not going to change their circumstance around. That may sound very harsh, but that's my yeah, experience. You know that they're—it's a bad situation. You got to lock them up and throw away the key. Thank you for joining us on Liberty Station. I hope you enjoy the show. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on Rumble, Liftable TV, or Spotify, or anywhere that you consume podcasts. Please text these episodes to your friends and support our advertisers.